Please turn to your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, and we'll be reading the entire chapter. And it is, uh, I'm thankful uh, to report this evening that I have one more uh, semester of uh, seminary, and I'm scheduled to graduate towards the end of uh, May, and uh, Magna and I are joyful and at the same time uh, conflicted with uh, so many different emotions. And uh, we're just continuing to pray that we can uh, stay here um, as far as the time is concerned, the next few months, that, that the next few months will not go by flying by as the past few months have. So um, it is uh, with great joy again, once again, to bring the exposition of God's word to you this evening and continue to keep us in prayer as we, uh, as of yet, do not have a definitive call to ministry. And um, so we appreciate your prayers. Uh, we, we are involved in, uh, currently involved in conversations, but there is nothing definitive as of yet. So uh, please pray that we would have... Uh, more of a sense of our, our of our call by the end of May. So that's our prayer request uh, uh, to you this evening. Before reading God's word, please join me in uh, prayer this evening. Heavenly Father, uh, your written word is completely truthful and authoritative. Your word is life. Your word is spirit. You meet us there in communion when we seek her in reading and studying. We ask that by your resplendent grace that you enable us to see further the glory of your Son through the internal work of the Holy Spirit, the eternal Spirit. Grant that by your word and spirit we might not be just mere listeners, but doers of your word as it is read and preached to our hearts so that we might live in the joy of our salvation for Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. This is God's very own fallible and inerrant word. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh. As infants in Christ, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now, you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, 
Like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest, for the day will disclose it, because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him, for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool that he may become wise. For the wisdom of this world is folly with with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. So let no one boast in men, for all things are yours. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the word or the world or life or death or the present or the future, all are yours. And you are Christ's and Christ is God's. This is the word of the Lord. In the previous two chapters, uh, having laid the groundwork of the centrality of the gospel of Christ and him crucified and the Holy Spirit's ministry of revealing and applying the gospel of Christ and him crucified as the power and wisdom of God in response to a divisive coalition within the church at Corinth uh, rooted in the misguided ideas venerating the supremacy of human wisdom and power as it relates to Christian leadership, ideas which were influenced by self-promoting and eloquent speakers of the first century, and having exposed these things as condemned by the cross of Christ. Paul now continues to expound on some of these absurdities of spiritual immaturity in the church, which stem from not viewing properly the centrality of the gospel of Christ and him crucified. Paul highlights a few marks of spiritual immaturity that plagued this congregation in Corinth. So let's take a closer look together at the first thing this passage illustrates about spiritual immaturity. In the first place, Paul describes the members of this congregation as spiritual infants in Christ. Notice in verse 1, But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. Paul here is not, uh, with these words, Paul was not offering the church at Corinth a compliment. Uh, To be sure, Paul is not belittling the newly converted in their state of spiritual infancy in the Christian faith. In fact, he recognizes uh, the wisdom of feeding 
the members of this congregation with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And notice that what is presupposed here is that spiritual growth is analogous uh, to physical growth and that both are characterized by slow, uh, progressive development. In fact, Paul recognizes the wisdom of this view by the language he uses. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. This is not at all at odds with 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 2, which records the Apostle Peter saying, Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. The pure spiritual milk that Peter encourages uh, Christians to long for is the Word of God. So Paul does capture the wisdom of recognizing the slow progressive nature of growing in Christian faith and practice. In commenting on the progressive nature of sanctification, John Murray writes that the law of growth applies, uh, therefore, in the realm of Christian life. Uh, God is pleased to work through process and to fail to take account of this principle in the sanctification of the people of God is to frustrate both the wisdom and grace of God. Uh, The child who acts as a man is a monstrosity. The man who acts as a child is a tragedy. If this is true in nature, how much more in Christian behavior? There are babes in Christ, there are young men, there are old men, and and what monstrosities and tragedies have marred the witness of the church by failure to take account of the law of growth? Paul does not make this mistake uh, mentioned by Murray. He knows that it is dangerous uh, and can prove uh, to be fatal to do so. Uh, Simply, it is is ludicrous, right? Uh, Also, he he is not knocking the members uh, who are newly converted to the faith. However, Paul did spend about 18 months with this congregation after having planted it and feeding her members with milk. And at the time of the writing of this letter, the church had been in existence for about five years. So it is with astonishment that Paul says to them, I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now you are not yet ready, for you are still of the flesh. In other words, after all this time, you are still behaving like non-believers and not like, new create, not, not like new creatures in Christ, as you are s- still in the stage of diaperhood. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, you are not of the flesh, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? In the Greek, it, it literally says, I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. Upon hearing the report of the rival factions in this congregation, Paul issues his assessment and writes that they are still in a spiritual stage of arrested development, spiritually speaking, of course. They had treated the cross of Christ exclusively as an entry point to the Christian faith. This is what marks the Corinthian believers as spiritually immature in Paul's eyes. 
Spiritual immaturity is characterized by stunted growth in the milk of the Word of God. Spiritual arrested development is marked by being stuck in an infantile diet of milk in the ABCs of the, uh, of the Christian faith, being stuck in the rudimentary level of the gospel of Christ and Him crucified. A lot of evangelical churches think this way, that the gospel, the ABCs of the gospel of Christ is the uh, entryway to faith. But it is strictly functions in that manner. It is exclusive. It's exclusively for entry into the Christian faith. This is a sober indictment against the Corinthian church, for they were not able to advance their diet to take in the meat of the gospel of Christ and Him crucified. This is the sense of what the writer of Hebrews intimates when recording these words in chapter 12 of that letter, verses 12 to 14. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. But this can only come from progressively diving into the depths and riches. As Paul states in the first chapter of this letter in Corinthians, and because of him, because of God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It is to increasingly to feed on Christ as the wisdom of God, feeding on Christ as our righteousness and sanctification and redemption. It is to take in the meat of the gospel and the wonderful doctrines of God's sovereign grace, his eternal plan of salvation and electing us by his grace, justification by faith alone, based, as was mentioned this, uh, this morning, based on the active and passive obedience of Christ alone, and many other salvific Doctrines of God's transformative grace found in the epistles such as Romans, Galatians, and Ephesians. Have you been a believer for 5, 10, 15, or 20 plus years, and yet you find yourself still functioning as a spiritual infant, full of jealousy and strife, which affect your relationships with family, friends, or co-workers? If so, come to Christ. Come to feed upon him in the meat of God's word by faith and repentance. This leads us to our second major point in our passage. Let us consider another mark of spiritual immaturity in the church stemming from not feeding on the meat of the centrality of the gospel of Christ and him crucified. In remaining in the state of spiritual infancy for about five years, the Corinthian church failed to link the centrality of the gospel of Christ and him crucified to the nature of Christian leadership. 
Notice in verse 5, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believe as the Lord assigned to each. Christian leadership is characterized by servant leadership, according to this verse. Paul describes himself as a servant. This too can be traced back to the person of Christ. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, in one occasion rose from the supper and celebrating the supper his last supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. He then poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? Jesus answered him, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterward you will understand Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but also my hands and my head. Jesus said to him, the one who has bathed does not need to wash except for his feet, but is completely clean. And you are clean, but not every one of you. For he knew who was to betray him, and that, what was, that was why he said, not all of you are clean. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so am I. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, You also ought to wash one another's feet, for I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done. Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. And here, Christ is the master teaching his disciples about servant leadership. The servant is not greater than his master. Take a look at verses 5 to 7 in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything but only God who gives the growth. Anything. Neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything. How should we understand this? How should we understand anything here in this verse uh, 7? Especially in light of Paul's letter to the Thessalonians in chapter 5, in his first letter to the Thessalonians, chapter 5, where Paul says this concerning the church leaders. We ask you, brothers, to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you, speaking to the church, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. See, the problem here was 
the church in Corinth was treating Christ as Christ as one of the rest of the apostles or pastors. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 11, it says, For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you, my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, or I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Because of their spiritual immaturity, they could not distinguish. They could not distinguish. They put Christ at the same level as the apostles and pastors and not as the master. Also, in addition, another aspect of uh, church leadership is its variety. Uh, Paul was assigned a task of an apostle and an Apollos as, as pastor. And notice in verses uh, 6 and 7 again, it describes Paul as a skilled uh, master uh, builder in this uh, text. And what is, what is describing is Paul uh, not only uh, having the responsibility in his um, apostolic task in uh, planting uh, churches, but he was also an overseer of, of people he had trained in the pastorate as well. So uh, a master builder is one who not only constructs, but helps the other builders and supervise their work as well. So there's variety in church leadership as well. In addition, um, there is accountability among church leaders, uh, this text teaches us. Notice, notice in verse 12. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each one's work will become manifest. For the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So we see at the, the day of judgment, there's ultimately an accountability for church leaders. And the context here is leadership. The context here is, is judging uh, church officers. But by way of application, it's not limited uh, by application. It can be appropriated to various uh, leaders and, and ministries, um, as we have here, different uh, ministries and, and people, different people leading different ministries. This also applies that we must be careful on how we build, how we build on the foundation that has been already established and, 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 and put down by uh, the apostles and Paul being um, a master builder. This leads us to the uh, th the uh, third uh, aspect or third mark of spiritual immaturity uh, in the church. Uh, the third uh, mark of spiritual immaturity is the failure to understand the nature of the church. It is God who gives the growth. Returning to verses 6 and 7, I planted, uh, I planted Apollo's water, but God gave the growth. 
God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. And, he, and Paul repeats himself here, emphasizing that uh, it is God who ultimately decides the growth of the church. And this is in keeping with what Peter says in his first chapter, uh, in, uh, chapter 1 in First Peter. Love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Since you have been born again, not of perishable seed, but imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God. It is God who gives birth to the church, not the other way around, as the Roman Catholic Church teaches, that they, the church gives birth to the word of God. But Peter states here it is the reverse. God is the one who gives growth to the church. Also, in addition, uh, another aspect here of the, of the nature of the church, uh, the, the church it has only one and only one foundation, which is Christ. Notice in verses 10 and 11, also in 12 and 14 and 15, that it is Christ alone who is the foundation and that the apostles and, and pastors must build upon this one foundation. Also, the church, uh, it states here that the church is God's dwelling. Uh, Notice in verses 16 and uh, 17, do you not know that you are God's temple? And this is the first time uh, of a long strings in the uh, first Corinthians that Paul uses uh, this uh, query. Do you not know? that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. So God, the Holy Spirit, takes up residence among his uh, people, uh, as we see in this passage. A fourth fourth mark um, of Spiritual immaturity in the church is a failure to grasp our true identity in Christ. Uh, See, the egregious sin committed in Corinth uh, was that they were trying to seek a social uh, status. And it was not a matter of just a simple dispute. Um, In first century uh, rhetoric, uh, in first century rhetoric, especially among the Gentiles, um, many itinerant preachers would come to different cities and uh, begin to uh, teach on human wisdom and human power. And uh, as one uh, observer has, has noted, that rhetoric was the basis of education and credibility in Paul's world. Um, it was the social dividing line between the leisured upper class of smart Uh, cool people and a working lower class of simple, ordinary people. Not all rhetoric was sophistry, but audiences did did applaud the clever use of argumentation so that a weak position could win out over a stronger one. They respected the display of intellectual sophistication and wit. It was how the gears of persuasion were lubricated. Uh, Rhetorical polish got a man's name in lights. And the Corinthian church had no problem uh, with it. And along with this, uh, those who would listen uh, to this type of rhetoric on human power and human wisdom, um, uh, adhering to uh, one of these uh, speakers and um, uh, giving money, 
to one of these speakers uh, came with a degree of social status uh, consistent, apparently consistent with the uh, rhetoric that they would preach. And this is the failure. This is the failure of the Corinthian church. Their egregious uh, sin is that uh, they were putting Paul, Apollos, and Christ um, in the same way. I am of Paul. I am of Paul. I am of Apollos. I belong. I belong to Paul. I belong to Apollos. In other words, in first century, <clears throat> their, uh, in first century, they would see this as uh, as as whose am, whose I am determines who I am, who I belong to determines who I am, and this is where Paul says, "No, for all things are yours," and he's taken a stoic saying and, and turning it on its head. And the Stoics believed that um, all things were uh, to be mastered, uh, all things were, were susceptible to being mastered uh, through their human wisdom and power, and all things were supposed to serve them. But uh, Paul, in light of the cross of Christ, Paul is saying, in Christ, all for all things are yours. Notice in Uh, Verse 21, so let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas, or the world or life, or death or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ, and Christ is God. In commenting on uh, these verses, uh, D.A. Carson uh, notes that uh, he states that do not do not think that you can adopt the philosophies and values of the world as if such choices do not have a profoundly detrimental impact on the church. Do not think you can get away with it. Do not kid yourself that you are with it, an avant-garde Christian, when in fact you are leaving the gospel behind and doing damage to God's church. To fasten undue and exclusive affection and loyalty on one leader is to depreciate how much there is to receive from all the others. In other words, factionalists overlook the wealth of the heritage we as Christians properly enjoy. According to another writer concerning this phrase, all things are yours, he says... And in the list that follows, although he begins with Paul, Apollos, and Cephas, he then adds, or the world, or life, or death, or the present, or the future, all are yours, and you are of Christ, and Christ is of God. And what does this mean? What does he, Paul means by this? And he states that five things follow uh, Paul, or Apollos, or Cephas in these verses that represent the fundamental tyrannies of human life. The things that enslave us, the things that hold us in bondage, the world, the life, death, the present, or the future. Let no one deceive himself. If anyone among you thinks that he is wise in this age, let him become a fool, that he may become wise. 
For the wisdom of this world is folly with God. For it is written, he catches the wise in their craftiness. And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are futile. And the cross brings condemnation to the wisdom of the world. But the cross also brings to us as believers in Christ, all things belong to us. Paul belongs to us. Apollos belongs to us. Cephas belongs to us. This reminds us of Romans chapter 8, doesn't it? Where Paul says, No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I'm sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. All these things, all these things become not our masters, but our slaves. D.A. Carson also adds, in one important sense, this, this world belongs to us. Everything belongs to our Heavenly Father, and we are His children. So everything belongs to us. Of course, the world is not ours for our ruthless and selfish exploitation. It is ours only in connection with our relationship to our God and Father. But that means we belong to the one who will one day create a new heaven and earth and will enable us to, to delight in it. We are the heirs of God. We are co-heirs with Christ. So we see that we inherit all these spiritual benefits. This is a package that covers from cradle to grave and beyond. In closing, the Heidelberg Catechism captures this thought in their first question. What is your only comfort in life and death? That I am not my own, but belong with body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ. He has fully paid for all my sins with his precious blood and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserved preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. And the people of God said, Amen. Let us turn to hymn number 522 and sing with great joy this hymn.